Leveling up. Extreme business growth through raising your game. When what was once extraordinary becomes ordinary, you know you've leveled up. Hello and welcome to the Leveling Up podcast with me, George Swift. The Leveling Up podcast is here to give you the personal development, the entrepreneurial development and the business growth that you, the ambitious business owner, desires. I'm here to give you the inspiration, the motivation and to challenge your aspirations to take you and your business to the next level. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Okay, so in today's episode, I am going to share with you the most challenging question that I ask entrepreneurs. Before I do ask it, I want to set the scene. If you're in business and you're doing what everybody else is doing, the chances are you're competing on price. And most business owners I come across, especially small business owners, they typically are always competing on price. I'm not saying they're the cheapest, but they're definitely not the most expensive and the chances are they're having to negotiate on price. Even if they're not necessarily dropping their prices, they're still probably finding themselves having a lot of price discussions with their clients and their prospects. The reason is, if there's nothing unique about you, if there's nothing particularly different about what you do and what you offer or who you do it for or how you offer it, then you're just providing something similar, if not exactly the same, as someone else and possibly many other people, in which case it's going to come down to either a personal relationship that seals the deal, so they know you or they know someone else, so they either go with you or someone else, or it might come down potentially to who has the best brand or who does the best marketing rather than necessarily who has the best product. It might be just who has the most spend, who's willing to put more money into marketing, I remember a client we once had and he said, I don't know how my competitors are doing it. He said, you know, they must be spending, you know, five to 10,000 pounds a month on advertising, whether that's through things like Yale.com and they're all over, you know, Google and he's like, you know, Facebook and social media, they're paying for ads. And he's like, how the hell do I compete? Now, for whatever reason, these people are outspending him. It doesn't matter whether he's better than them or not. It doesn't matter about any of those things. They're beating him just because they're outspending him and therefore he's competing with them on an equal level, but he can't compete with them at an equal level in marketing, so they win. So there's a whole load of reasons why you're not competitive and most of them come down to the fact that you're not different and therefore the thing you end up competing on is price and if you're lucky you win, but if you're winning on price, it's because you're cheap or the very least, you're cheaper than your competition. Either way, this is not a good way of winning business. And even if you're winning business at a decent rate, but you're winning it on personal levels because either they know you, they have a personal relationship with you, that's not scalable. You need your product to stand out in a marketplace where people that you don't know, that don't know you, still see your product standing out amongst all the other product offerings in your marketplace. So that's the backstory to why I asked this question. And I'm not expecting you to answer this question today. I'll be blown away. I'll be amazed if you had an answer for this question right now. What I say to business owners and entrepreneurs is have this question in the back of your mind, like set it and leave it there. 
right? Just leave it there festering as you go through your day, as you go through your week, and maybe even as you go through your business year by year. Leave this question sitting there because one day you might answer it. And when you answer it, there is an amazing opportunity for you, an opportunity to charge way more than your competition, an opportunity to have people willingly pay a lot more than they're currently paying. And that is you have something that really stands out. You have something that you might refer to as disruptive. So there's this word going around at the moment about being disruptive, changing the patterns in your marketplace, changing how people buy your product, changing how people consume your product or use your product, maybe how you sell the product, maybe how it's packaged, how it delivers or how it's delivered. When you change something radically in a market space, you very quickly get acknowledged, recognized, known, and very quickly you're not in competition with anyone directly. You might still compete, with the legacy way of doing things, but you're not in direct competition for a while. And then guess what? Everybody else will see what you're doing. They'll see what you're doing as working. And then everyone else will inevitably adapt themselves to you. And then that's when you have to keep asking this question that I'm going to give you in just a moment, because you need to work out what's the next version of that. Companies that continually disrupt the marketplace are the ones that continually unsettle the marketplace. They continually sit above everybody else. They're known. They might be notorious even sometimes, but they're very well known. They're very well regarded. And guess what? They win. They win. They're exciting companies to work for. They're exciting companies to buy from. They're exciting products to consume. And we can't get enough of them. We want our products, our services, our businesses to be different from what's on offer in the marketplace. And the biggest way, the most outrageous way of doing that is to be disruptive, to literally change the marketplace. Companies that have done this in the past include iTunes. So when Apple released iTunes, we were still buying records and CDs. So CDs disrupted the record market, the record market disrupted the tape market, and the online market disrupted the CD market. So we were all buying CDs and we were consuming our CDs and we had the Virgin Mega Store and we had HMV and we had all these mega music stores, right? Where are they now? Where are they now? These monolithical companies that equally put other monolithical companies out of business because they changed the marketplace. They didn't keep up. They didn't innovate the next version. You know, if HMV had come out with iTunes, HMV would be the biggest provider of music on the planet. If Virgin Records, if they'd come out with iTunes, they'd be the biggest provider of music on the planet. They didn't. And because of that, where are they today? Versus iTunes that is sitting at the top of the pile iTunes not only innovated, they didn't bring out a differentiation in their product. They didn't say we're different to Virgin because we do this or we're different to HMV because of this. They completely disrupted how we buy music, how we listen to music, how we consume music. And by doing that, they literally launched themselves into the stratosphere with their success. Apple did it with their phone as well. When they brought out the iPhone, it was like nothing else on the planet. 
It disrupted the market. In fact, when Apple brought out the iPhone, they had a very different approach to any other mobile phone company on the planet. Everybody else was adapting their phones to work on the networks. So in other words, if you were on, you know, O2, Cellnet, whatever it was back in the day, if you're on Vodafone, if you're on 3 Mobile or Orange, your mobile handset was built for the network. When Apple released the iPhone, they dictated how it was going to work. And when Apple was first released in the UK, it was only available on O2. They had a partnership with O2 because Apple wanted to change how we used our phones, what phones meant to us, the space and the place that mobile phones had in our life. Apple wanted to completely and utterly change not only what a mobile phone was, but how we used it. And therefore, it dictated external to itself what it needed in order to make the mobile phone do what they wanted it to do. And suddenly, your iPhone is no longer your phone. One part of your iPhone is the phone, but it's everything else as well. Apple are geniuses at doing this. They did it with the iPad. Were there things like iPads out there? Yes, they were. But were they disruptive like the iPad was? No, it wasn't. MP3 players had been around for some time before Apple released the original iPod. So in some ways, it wasn't that revolutionary. However, suddenly everyone wanted an iPod and nobody wanted any other MP3 player because Apple disrupted the marketplace in terms of what an iPod was. It brought it into its ecosystem with iTunes and it changed everything. Everyone else was playing catch up. Apple have done this over and over again. Richard Branson has done it over and over again. Elon Musk has done it over and over again. These are all what I would call like super entrepreneurs. People that literally change the landscape of the world of the planet. Their products come in and alter how the human race interacts, how it works, how it thinks, how it does business, how it drives, you know, what it wants. Electric cars have been around for ages before Elon Musk brought out his original Tesla. But his original Tesla disrupted not only the entire electric vehicle market, but it also disrupted the petrol market as well. When he brought out the S model, again, he brought out something that would compete with a Mercedes, top-end Mercedes, top-end Audi, top-end BMW. He not only disrupted the electric vehicle market where suddenly you could have performance and range and you could have luxury, but he was also eating into the petrol market. Unheard of. He's done it over and over again with his products. Apple's done it with their products. Richard Branson's done it with his products. Richard Branson revolutionized, you know, how we look at banking. I always remember when Richard Branson first bought out his brochure for his first Virgin Banking product. And I remember looking at the end of this brochure and it had something like, you know, the boring stuff. And it was all the T's and C's that were written, right? And they were written in plain English and they were written like, you know, in layman's language. And it was called the boring stuff, right? Rather than, you know, the terms and conditions and then all the legal speak that nobody understood. Now, today we're used to this. We see it everywhere. We see it on products. We see it in banking. You know, we see this layman's language, you know, this character, that the bank is a, is a personality rather than just a big bank financial institution. As I understand it, 
Certainly from my experience, Richard Branson was the first to do that. He brought a human face or a human tone to something that was monolithical, something that was all financial and, you know, just out of reach and out of touch. You know, Innocent Smoothie, when you first bought Innocent Smoothies back in the day, everyone does this on products now. Well, not everyone, but we see it frequently. Innocent Smoothie came out and on the back of their things, they would have this real layman's language. You know, they'd sit there and say something like, you know, if you've got a few minutes to kill, here's the boring stuff. Not necessarily that language, but kind of that stuff. Instead of the ingredients and all the technical stuff, they would put this, you know, this humorous human personality to it. And it literally transformed how we thought about products. But more importantly, how we bought products, they went from success to success. Other people then copy that. Other people see that success. And then you have to continue to innovate because now, guess what? Innocent Smoothie is one of probably a thousand products that approaches its customers in the same way. You know, the boring stuff, the nutritional bits or whatever else they might say on their products. So it works. It works over and over again to revolutionize what you're doing, to revolutionize how your clients buy, purchase or consume or use a product or a service. So in context to this, the most powerful question I can ask with regards to this is if you were going to revolutionize your industry, what would it look like? Not only is it the most powerful question in terms of disruptiveness, it's also one of the scariest questions to answer. And as the title of this episode states, it's the most challenging question that I ask entrepreneurs. I'm not expecting you to answer it right now. I'm not expecting you to know it right now. It's a question that you sit in the background. And all these great entrepreneurs, that's what they do. They pose the question. They pose the question and then they seek answers. If we were going to disrupt the mobile phone industry, what would our mobile phone look like? Or what would that industry look like? If we were, rev if we were going to revolutionize how people consume music, what might that look like? If we were going to revolutionize how people did banking, maybe that's what Egg did back in the day when Egg absolutely changed the landscape of banking in many respects. If people were going to purchase items differently, what would that look like? If I was going to revolutionize the retail industry, what might that look like? See, everyone else is innovating off the back of what is already there. So people are sitting there saying, okay, so let's take Argus, for example. So we were going into shops and it was all lines and lines of shelves and you'd go in and you'd pick what you wanted off a shelf and you'd carry it or you'd wheel it to the front or carry it in a basket and then you'd pay for the product and go home. What Argos realized, and they were very disruptive in what they did, what they realized was is that actually we can have a massive warehouse out the back, we'll have a very small shop front out the front, you can have a glossy magazine to browse through. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to look at anything. You don't have to carry anything. You can just browse through this catalog like we're used to doing for our home shopping, our home purchasing, the catalog companies. But instead of that, you go to the shop, you're standing there, and rather than waiting for it to be delivered, you can get it there and then. You fill out a piece of paper, pay for it. And literally, the shop front is tiny. It's a warehouse at the back. They can stock a ton of products right up into the rafters and they've got a team of people out there picking these products. And within five minutes, maybe even less, you've got your products and you're heading out of the door. Argus revolutionized how we did shopping. Now, for whatever reason, it didn't take on. I don't know quite why 
you know, every shop didn't go down that route. There's a part of me that feels like when August did that, it would have been inevitable that most shops could have gone that route. Small shop fronts, catalogues, fill out your form, collect your products, let somebody else find it and pick it for you, walk out the door with it. But for whatever reason, it didn't disrupt the whole marketplace, but what it did do was differentiate itself to such a degree that it was able to punch into a marketplace heavily competitive and actually make a massive footprint on our high streets. However, Argus didn't invent the next version of disruptiveness. Neither did WH Smiths or Boots or any of the other big monolithical high street companies. It was Amazon. Amazon changed everything. And now everybody's playing catch up. Amazon said, right, forget having any presence in the high street. From the convenience of your own home, you can browse more products than you could ever house anywhere in the world. You could buy literally anything, have it delivered to your door within a day, and you never had to leave your house to do it. Now that innovation, not only was it disruptive, it was hugely competitive, as is evident because it took off. It was massively disruptive because it has taken so much money out of the high streets and out of retail. So it's disruptive. And it's mega disruptive because everybody else is playing catch up. Everybody else has to have an online presence. John Lewis now has to have an online presence. Argos themselves must have an online presence. Everybody's got their online presence. They were years behind Amazon. They're playing catch up. And they're never going to stop Amazon from being Amazon and doing what it's doing. Is there something the other side of Amazon? I don't know. I can't conceive of it. I'd imagine that they are definitely, Jeff Bezos is definitely asking that question of himself or at least of his team, which is, if we were going to revolutionize how Amazon did business, what does it look like? And we've heard lots of things there coming out of Amazon, like, for example, the idea of drones that would deliver the products to you automatically. So you didn't have people turn up to your house. You'd have a drone that would leave a central depot, would fly, you know, completely autonomous. It would drop off your parcel for you and off it would whiz. We've heard these things. There's lots of talk about what retail of the future might look like. Amazon's job is really simple. It must be the one that innovates this because if it isn't, there's a real risk, just like some of the huge companies that we've seen go under once Amazon came out, there is a huge risk that Amazon will suffer. Would they perish now? I don't know. But Woolworths went out of business and none of us would have predicted that. Could Amazon go out of business? Probably it could. Certainly, possibly it could. Certainly it could lose its position as being the leading retailer on the planet. It won't want to do that. So I can't imagine for a second that an innovator like Jeff Bezos is not asking that question of himself and his team. If we were going to revolutionize how we did business, because they're already the leading force in this. If we revolutionized how we did business or how people did business online, what would that look like? And that's the question I want you to pose, to think about. You can write it out on a post-it note. You can stick it on a screensaver. You can ping a little alarm in the morning. I don't want you to obsess about this. I don't want you necessarily to sit there all day worrying about this or pondering this because you've got to get on and run your business. You've got to go out there and make some money. You've got to go out there and do a little bit of hustle. You don't get the luxury of just sitting there trying to imagineer shit up and think shit up. You have to go out there and work. I want you to pose the question in the background. This is what I suggest 
to everyone I ask this question of. I say, look, pose the question, let your brain know you're looking for an answer, let your brain cross-reference that answer with everything else in the marketplace. If you're not asking the question, then you're seeing lots of ideas for innovation out there, but you're missing them because you're not setting the task in your brain to go and look for answers for things. Pose the problem, pose the question, challenge your unconscious to cross-reference everything you do day to day, everything you're seeing out there in the world around you with the question, if I was gonna revolutionize how my industry did business, what would that look like? It's the most challenging question I set entrepreneurs. It's also one of the most powerful ones that you could possibly answer. Are you the next Jeff Bezos? Are you the next Steve Jobs? Are you the next Richard Branson? Or maybe you're the next Elon Musk. Maybe you're none of those things. Maybe what you are gonna be is the innovator in your industry. You're gonna be the one that gets to charge more, the one that doesn't compete on price because you're gonna be the one that sets out their stall and does things differently. You're gonna do things innovatively. You're gonna stand out because you are gonna change either the product, the service that people wanna buy, or you're gonna change the way they use it, or you're gonna change the way they consume it, or you're gonna change the way they purchase it. Be an innovator, be a market leader, at the very least, separate yourself out from the rest of the competition and ask that question, if you were gonna revolutionize how your industry did business, what would that look like? You might get some short-term innovations. You might even answer the big question one day. Either way, get the question in your head. Send it out there into the world. Let your unconscious seek an answer because when it does, it will change everything. Not just for you, but potentially for us all. Awesome stuff. Thanks for listening. I hope your week is going well. I hope it continues to get even better. If you are a five-figure business and you've yet to hit 100K in turnover, don't forget the six-figure fast track is sitting there waiting for you. It's my masterclass on how to take a five-figure service-based business, maybe doing 20, 30, 40, or 50,000 to 100K revenue or more in the next 12 months or less. Get yourself on the six-figure fast track. Get yourself over to briggerbrighterbolder.co.uk forward slash fast track and get yourself onto that webinar. We look at the six-figure mindset, the six-figure business model and your six-figure day-to-day methodology for hitting 100K or more. I'll put the link in the descriptions as well. I will see you next time. And as always, until then, be successful. Leveling up. Extreme business growth through raising your game. When what was once extraordinary becomes ordinary, you know you've leveled up.